navigating life through the world's twisted culture can make the journey puzzling and stressful. But when God is your navigator, you move in confidence. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at God's promises of protection and preservation as you encounter life's peaks and valleys. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Lord, I need help for my life. Well, thank you for joining us today. We are studying the Psalms under the heading of When Your World Falls Apart. Uh, That's a very interesting thing because David wrote about a lot of his problems in his Psalms. As I've said before, his Psalms often start with a sigh and end with a song. He begins down in the mouth and ends up with his head lifted up and his hands lifted up toward heaven, praising God. A tremendous, uh, remarkable illustration for all of us who go through dark times in our lives. Today, we're going to finish up what we started yesterday from Psalm 121. Lord, I need help for my life. This will be part two, and we'll get at it in just a moment. During this month, we're making available a very special resource called Sleep on This, a beautiful beautiful gift book that has readings to read every night before you go to sleep. Helpful information to calm your spirit. It's a beautiful book. Every page has a QR code on it so that when you activate it, it will be read to you and you won't have to read it. A very uh, bedtime voice will read the information and you'll be blessed to have it. This beautiful book is yours for the asking when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of August. Don't forget also that at the end of December of this year, we'll be heading to the Caribbean for an 11-day cruise, a conference cruise to help you focus your attention on the new year, learning all the lessons from the old one. We'll see beautiful places. We'll have with us some incredible music in Uriel Vega, Michael Sanchez, and the Martins. We'll stay on a beautiful ship, see all these great sights. I hope you'll sign up to go with us. Once again, the dates are December the 27th through January the 7th, and you can get more information about it at our website. Well, here's part two of Lord, I Need Help for My Life. It's interesting to me how often I've heard this psalm sung or taught or even recited, and I realize immediately that for a long time, I misunderstood what it was meaning. For so many years, we read the psalm like this, I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. And the idea was that somehow we were going to get help out of the mountains. But that's not what the psalm says at all. The psalmist says, I will look unto the hills, almost a period there. And then the beginning of a new sentence, from whence comes my help. In other words, the first sentence is a statement. The second statement is a question. He looks to the hills and then he looks inwardly and he asks himself the question, where am I going to find any help? He's having a dialogue with himself. You say, well, that's not a real healthy thing to do, but we do it all the time, don't we? When was the last time you said to yourself, what am I going to do? That's what the psalmist is saying. I will look to the hills. He knew he had to get through those hills to Jerusalem. Then he asked himself the question, from whence comes my help? He looked around and then he looked within. And finally, he looked above. In verse 2, he comes to the very strong affirmation of this psalm. He said, my help comes from the Lord who makes heaven and earth. 
Finally, he comes to the point that is the whole secret to understanding these eight verses. He said, I have looked around to the mountains without help. I've looked within, and I don't know where to go. But finally, I looked up, and I realized my help, all of my help, comes from God. What a lesson to learn as we make our journey as pilgrims on this earth. My help comes from the Lord. The Lord is described here as the God who made heaven and earth. That's not accidental. That's a great encouragement to us when we understand its meaning. Over and over again in the Old Testament, this is a little phrase that's attached to the blessings that the Jewish people passed one to another. Like Psalm 115, verse 15, which says, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Or Psalm 134 in verse 3, The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Or Psalm 146, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth. You say, why is that in there? Why is that tacked on? Let me tell you why. The power of this statement is wrapped up in the idea that since God is the creator of all things and all things are his handiwork, he has the power to help us. When he who is the creator has made everything that has been made and we come to him and say, God, help, we're not only coming to a God who has offered his help, but one who is able to extend it. How many of you know that God is not just the creator of all things, he is the sustainer of all things? Paul, writing to the Colossians, reminded us that God is the one who created everything. By him, all things are created. And at the end of the verse, it says, all things are in him and all things consist by him, which means they're held together by him. If God should forever a moment remove his hand from this universe, it would fly out into oblivion. But God continues to sustain us. He is the one who has created and the one who sustains. So when you get on your journey to a place where you don't know what to do and you say, Lord, I need help, just remember this. The one to whom you're praying is the one who made heaven and earth. He's the creator God. Friend, I don't know what kind of problem you've got, but when you've got a resume like God has, he can help you. He can help you. What a great encouragement. And that really is the key to the whole psalm. This God who made heaven and earth is the one who has promised to be our helper. And in verses 3 through 8, we see the promises that have been made to us by Almighty God to help us along the way. It's interesting that in verse 3, the person of the speaker changes We move from a first-person declaration to a third person. For those of you who are into grammar, you can check it out with the personal pronouns in the psalm. Some have thought that a whole new person is speaking in verse 3. In other words, that in verses 1 and 2, the psalmist has asked the questions, and in verses 3 through 8, somebody, perhaps like a priest, comes along and makes the answers. But I don't think that's what's going on at all. I think this is an internal dialogue in the heart of the psalmist. Asking questions of God and then framing the answers and writing them down for our benefit. There are three things that he comes to in these eight verses about God that will help you as you put your trust in him. When you cry out to God, here's what you need to remember. First of all, he perceives you. He knows you. How many of you are glad that God knows who you are? Isn't it unbelievable? The God who made heaven and earth knows who you are. He does. He knows you by name. I've been having a lot of fun looking in the mirror every day and being reminded that he numbers the hair on my head. (laughs) I've been known to count them just recently, seeing how we're doing. God and I are taking good care of that, watching over the crop that's growing, you know. 
If God knows the number of the hairs on your head, don't you think he knows what your problem is? Don't you think he knows what you're going through? Don't you think he's concerned about what your experience is? When you say, God, I need your help, God knows. He perceives you. Notice what the text says. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. This Lord, this maker of heaven and earth is perceived here as one who three times the psalm says, doesn't go to sleep on you. I remember reading a story about a man by the name of Bishop Quayle who was a leader in the Methodist church years ago. He related an experience of the Lord's providence in his life. He said one night he worked into the early morning hours trying to finish his work and he was so tired and the projects were overwhelming. At a moment of intense pressure, his eye fell on the 121st Psalm and the promise of the Lord's 24-hour vigil over him. He said he was reminded that his efforts to work for God rather than allowing God to work through him were defeating and extremely exhausting. So in his inner voice, he heard the Lord say to him in his heart, the Lord said, Quail, there's no need for both of us to stay up all night. I'm going to stay up anyway, so you go to bed and get a good sleep. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's a great truth, isn't it? How many of you have ever walked the floor at night over your kids or you've walked the floor over some sickness that you didn't know the answer to or some problem in your life and you worry and frustrate and wonder who's taking care of things and then all of a sudden you read in the Bible that the God in whom you have trusted, the one you asked for help, he doesn't ever sleep. He never slumbers. He never takes a day off. He's never gone on a journey out of town. God is always there whenever you call upon him. I'm surprised as I travel across the country, we have some releases of Turning Point that come on at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. I always thought, well, we'll put it on there. Maybe some truck will hear it while it's driving across the country. But everywhere I go, I find dozens and scores of people who are night people. People who for some reason or another, because of arthritic pain or whatever, can't sleep. And so they turn the radio on at night. I have a book in my library by a wonderful friend by the name of Ron Meal. And the title of the book is this, God Works the Night Shift. Isn't that a great thought? He's always there, no matter when you need him. In the loneliest, darkest hour of the night, he's there because he doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. You remember old Elijah in the Old Testament when he had the battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel? And, you know, they were going to find out who the real God was. I love this story. And Elijah kind of challenged the prophets of Baal, and he said, we're going to put a sacrifice on our altars and call upon God to come down and consume it with fire. So he gave them, you know, he let them go first. And from morning until noon, the prophets of Baal cried out to their God to come down and consume the sacrifice, and nothing happened. And you can just see the panic in their voices. They're crying out to God, oh God, come down and consume this. And long about noon, when their time was about up, Elijah did something that no preacher should ever do, because I already told you that sarcasm doesn't have any place in our life. But he had a little mean streak in him, Elijah did. And he couldn't resist, because he already knew what was going on. So he decided he'd mock him a little bit. And I read this with a smile. I'm not telling you this is a good pattern to follow in your own life, but this is what Elijah did. Read what he said. And it was noon that Elijah mocked them, and he said, cry aloud. For he is a God, either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and you have to wake him up. <laughs> I love it. He was a creative man. 
I tell you what, you got to be real secure to do that because he was next, right? He was going to call on his God. But isn't it interesting how wonderful the truth is in the word of God that God never goes to sleep on us. He's always there. When Alexander the Great was asked how he could sleep so soundly, surrounded by so much personal danger, he replied on one occasion that Parmenio, his faithful guard, was watching so he could sleep. My friend, if a great general can sleep when an earthly guard watches over him by night, how much more should we sleep knowing that our eternal God is watching over us and he never slumbers and he never sleeps. He perceives us. And then the Bible tells us in verses 5 and 6 that this God in whom we have put our trust for help protects us. Verses 5 and 6 say it this way, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. This is another promise. It moves from the metaphor of the watcher to the metaphor of the shepherd who shepherds his sheep and watches over them and keeps them. And it says he is the pilgrim's shade on his right hand. And the word shade here is very important because the pilgrim's great danger in that day was from the elements of the heat traveling across the arid desert toward their city. They could be scorched if they weren't careful. If you've ever been to Israel as I have been, maybe traveled up the long road to Masada, you know how hot it can get, how dry and hot and terribly stifling the heat can be. And so the promise is the Lord is your shade at your right hand and the word right hand there is a wonderful thought of the prominent place in the heart of God. Psalm 98 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have given him the victory. Over and over again in the scripture, the right hand of the Lord is the hand of power. He has given you shade in his right hand, says the scripture. He protects you. Now, the psalmist delineates that protection into the two day parts. He talks first of all about how he protects us by day in verse 6. The sun shall not strike you by day, says the psalmist. The word strike means to beat or hit or smite or kill. Really is the full appreciation of the shade that the Lord provides. The sun won't get to you in the daytime. And then, this is really surprising to me, and I couldn't figure this one out. He will protect you by night, and in verse 6 he says, nor will the moon smite you by night. I never heard of that before. Being moonstruck. But you know what? As I dug into this, I found out that in the period of time to which this psalm was addressed, there were many people who had superstitions about the moon. In fact, in Matthew 17, 15, there's the story of a man who came to Jesus and begged him to heal his son, and he described his son in these terms. He said, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And if you look into the marginal reading where it says epileptic, you will see in most of the translations the word actually is the word moonstruck. For he is moonstruck and suffers severely and often falls into the fire. The people in that day felt like there were dangers in the nighttime from the moon. Now, of course, no serious Hebrew student nor Christian student would ever fall prey to that kind of superstition. We all know that you can't be struck by the moon. I mean, that's foolishness. And we would never allow such superstition to creep into our culture, right? We would never let that happen. But in fact, that superstition is still very much with us in our vocabulary. When we say somebody is crazy, we call him a lunatic. And we talk about craziness as lunacy. 
which comes from the word lunar, which means moon. Right? Mm -hmm. We're not as sophisticated as we think we are. What the Lord is saying, in essence, is this. He's enough to provide safety for you in the heat of the day and in the superstition of the night. He will go with you. How many of you know people who are afraid of the nighttime? You know, a lot of times as people get older, they take on a certain fear of the night. Fear of danger. Some of them have insomnia and can't sleep, and so the night becomes a very difficult time for them to endure. And here the psalmist is saying, let me tell you something. The Lord will protect you by day. He'll protect you by night. He's your protector. He's your helper. What a wonderful encouragement. And then finally in verses 7 and 8, the psalmist says, the Lord will preserve you. The word itself is right in the text. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. He shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. What a wonderful promise. Break it down for a moment and notice that he preserves us from all evil. Here we are promised that the Lord will preserve us from evil or harm. In other words, we are to be confident that no harm or disaster is outside of the control and the care of God. It all is filtered through his hands. He hasn't lost control when difficult things come into our life. And then it says he preserves our existence. He shall preserve your soul, says the psalmist. He announces that the Lord will keep our soul from all harm. And the word soul there is the word for life. In other words, he's going to keep our life. How many of you know that God keeps our life forever and ever? He guards our soul throughout all eternity. We are alive today and we will be alive forever because God is the keeper of our soul. And then it says, he preserves us not only from evil and in our existence, but he preserves us every day. And I love this phrase. He shall preserve your going out and your coming in. Sometimes I look at my schedule and I get up in the morning and I think, but that's all I ever do is go out and come in. You know, go out from this, come into that. Go out from this and come into that. And then I'm reminded that God has promised even to preserve us in our going out and our coming in. This is a wonderful Old Testament idiom that speaks of the regular routines of life. While it's another reminder of God's watchfulness over us, it goes even to the warp and woof of everyday things. How many of you know God cares about everything that happens in our life? Maybe you've got small children at home. And you know, you look at the day and you think, boy, this is just like yesterday. And yesterday was like the day before. And all I do is get up in the morning and take care of kids and wash clothes and clean up the mess they made and try to get them ready for school and take care of all the running around to take care of them and come home and get done and fall into bed so tired I can hardly make it. Then I get up the next morning and we start all over again. You're going in and you're coming out. And you wonder, is God involved in all of this? Does God care about my routines? Let me promise you that he does. He watches over you and preserves you in your going in and in your coming out. And the scripture is filled with this truth over and over again. William Barclay in his commentary on the book of Luke had a little poem about the routines of life that goes like this, obviously written by a woman who is working at home. The prayer kind of goes like this. Lord of all pots and pans and things, since I have no time to be a saint by doing lovely things or watching late with thee or dreaming in the dawn light or storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Amen. God makes saints like that, doesn't he? Because God watches over the routines of life are going in and are coming out.
And then he adds this final thought. He preserves us eternally. He preserves us from evil. He preserves us in our existence. He preserves us in our everyday experiences. And he preserves us forever. For the last phrase is, from this time forth, even forevermore. We are assured that God's care extends not just to all places and to all settings of life, but also for all time, both now and forevermore. He preserves us. He cares about us in all the routines that are difficult. How many of you know that sometimes we go on detours in this life? Sometimes it seems like we're stuck in a cul-de-sac and we just go round and round and we're not going anywhere. Sometimes because of our own stubbornness and our own self-will, we go our own way. And someone will come along and say, God is not watching over you anymore. He's not. Yes, he is. He's preserving you even in your folly, waiting for you to come back, read the directions again, get started. How many of you know how hard it is for us to read the directions? How much frustration we must cause God when we don't read the directions and we go off our own way. And sometimes people say, well, God doesn't care about it. He's just going to let you. No, God's watching over the whole process. He will preserve you and he'll bring you back. He will never let go. You know, when a pious Jew today practices his Judaism in his home, on the door that goes out of the home, and sometimes on doors in between places in the home, they have a little thing called a mezuzah. It's a little metal container it's on the right-hand post of the door. And in that container are the words of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 11, which tell us that we're to train up our children in the way they should go, and we're to teach them in the going out and the coming in. And every day when a pious Jew goes out of his home, he touches the mezuzah with his right hand, and he repeats some of the words that are contained within the little metal container. And then he always ends with Psalm 121, verse 8. The Lord will keep you both now and forevermore. He's the keeper. When our children go off to go across country to school or, or off to see a friend, they leave. We know the Lord is our keeper. No wonder this is called the traveler's psalm. Many people have read this psalm over and over again as they've gone on a journey. The Lord is your keeper. I will look to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from God. My help. All of my help comes from God. That's what Paul was saying to the Romans in these words that we know so well from Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Nothing. And that great benediction in the book of Jude adds these closing words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help. All of my help comes from the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about what to do when God delays. When you think God has forgotten you, or maybe he doesn't understand how important what you've asked him to do for you is to you. And so his answer doesn't come the one you want it. 
how you deal with God's delays. And we'll look at this from Psalm 13. That's tomorrow right here on Turning Point. And uh, let me remind you again that uh, in March of next year, we're headed to Israel. That's right. The 12th through the 22nd, we'll be visiting the Holy Land. Along with us will be Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega. And uh, we will have a wonderful time seeing all of the sights of this beautiful place. Many, many people have already signed up to go with us. We will ultimately be limited by the rooms available to us in many of the places we visit. So don't wait until the last minute to make your reservation. We look forward to having you with us when we go to Israel in March. And now have a great night. Have a great understanding of God's Word before we meet together tomorrow. And we'll once again dip into the Psalms where you will learn what to do when your world falls apart. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If your faith is growing through this ministry, we'd love to hear from you. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Sleep on This, a nighttime devotional with biblical reflections to bring you peace and rest. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, When Your World Falls Apart, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you searching for a way to begin each day filled with energy and joy? It starts by saying goodnight to restless sleep. In his book, Sleep on This, Dr. David Jeremiah provides nightly readings to help quiet our minds and calm our spirits. And when you donate $75 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you a special set that includes this book and material from the series, When Your World Falls Apart. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. If you've been around the history of the Christian missionary movement for very long, you're likely familiar with William Carey, the great English missionary to India. But you may not have known this about him. When he was a young apprentice to a shoemaker, Carey was caught exchanging a counterfeit shilling for a genuine coin. In his shame, he begged the shoemaker to pray for him and help him reform his ways. 
Through that godly shoemaker's forgiveness and influence, William Carey became a committed follower of Christ and missionary to India. Be alert today. God may want you to influence someone for Christ. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to influence others on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.